0: This is the podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Green Pulse, a podcast series by The Straits Times where we analyse the beats of the changing environment, from biodiversity conservation to climate change. I am Audrey Tan, and today my co-host is Assistant Foreign Editor David Fogarty. Today, our guest is Professor William Chen, the Michael Pham Chair Professor and Director of the Nanyang Technological University's Food Science and Technology Programme. Our podcast today is a topic that is really close to the heart of many Singaporeans. Food.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. absolutely.
0: In August, an international panel of scientists released a report which highlighted how climate change and poor land management practices threaten the world's farmlands and food security. But David, since you covered the report, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what they said.
2: Thanks, Audrey. Yes, and you're totally right. We all love our food. And the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change earlier this month released a landmark report showing just how seriously the way we produce food is affecting our planet. Now, we love beef, we love durian, our rice, all the things we really like to consume. But the way we are growing them, in many cases, is damaging the land. So, for example, it's causing soil erosion. Add to that the impacts of climate change, for example, worsening droughts, more extreme rainfall... These are also meaning that the food supply chain is also becoming more tenuous and also increasing food costs. So what the report, this group of scientists have said that we have to change the way we grow our food to make it less environmentally damaging, much more kinder to the landscape. And this will also help us minimise the risks from climate change as they get worse. The bottom line here is we need to feed a lot more people on the planet going forward. And we need to make sure our food supply chains are much more robust.
0: Thanks, David. Professor Chen, you are a Singaporean and you're also a scientist who studies food security. So, I mean, in light of the recent IPCC report, can you just tell us what aspects of the report do you think is of most concern for Singaporeans?
1: Thank you, Audrey, for inviting me here. I guess of relevant to Singapore's food security would be potential food supply disruption and carbon footprint on the cost of food production and the supply chain, as David really pointed out. And more importantly, also about food waste management.
0: Okay. The report was quite broad in terms of how we consume beef and other livestock and also about the land required to grow crops. And I think one thing that many Singaporeans can identify with is durian. There was a recent report in the Malaysian newspapers that talked about how forests in Malaysia were being cleared to grow durian. Prof, maybe can you just share with us how is demand for all these exotic or delicacies like durian driving climate change?
1: One obvious consequences of this monoculture of uh, crops of uh, lucrative value would be the deforestation. So we can see that not just durian, perhaps also panmoy plantation, that there, this is a better known case. And in the case of durian, I think if the demand is keep on decreasing, we will see that the deforestation will get more and more. So that, as we know, the forest is a big carbon reservoir. So if we allow this deforestation to continue, then we will see that climate change and the global warming will just increase over time.
0: When you talk about deforestation and how that's relevant, one issue that has dominated headlines recently is the call for people to become vegetarian or eat more vegetables instead of meat. So David, can you just share more, what was it in the report that actually supported this idea?
2: Plant-based diets Growing them involves production of much fewer emissions, basically. So maybe tofu is probably not the best idea because a lot of soy comes from Brazil (laughs) and it involves a lot of deforestation. But certainly eating more plant-based proteins, more fruit and vegetables, which doctors will tell you was a good idea anyway. If you eat really meat-heavy diets, it's quite hard on the digestive system. So if you look at the amount of energy that goes into growing a lot of grain-based crops, for example, it's much less than growing, say, a kilogram of beef, which takes a lot more grain, takes a lot of water. Beef farms, particularly in, say, in Brazil, have also been involved in a lot of deforestation. So beef is basically, it's a double whammy. You have to cut down the forest, which is a major carbon sink. It soaks up a lot of carbon. It's also very rich in in plant and animal species. And then you just create this sort of monoculture with cattle grazing. So the land doesn't really take up much carbon anymore. It's also much more vulnerable to extreme heat and flood situations. And also when you remove the forest, you also change the local climate. So basically it's just a bad idea. Whereas if you have much less intensive farming or much less damaging, I would say, you're going to be a little bit happier about what you're eating.
0: So Prof Chen, you have some figures, right? What is the science behind this?
1: So as uh, David already pointed out, feeding a cow requires a lot of crops which compete with our food supply. So for example, in the US, we know that only 20% of crop land are producing for consumer consumption, whereas 80% of it actually is to produce feedstock for cattle, mm. lambs, all this. Mm. So you can see that the things can improve Plant-based protein is one of the alternatives because it will consume much less energy and with much lower carbon footprint. With all this uh, new mm. technology, it can be as tasty as uh, beefsteak.
0: Prof, I mean, you mentioned that in the US, for example, only 80% of their cropland is used to grow food for cows and other livestock. But what is the feed conversion rate? You know, like how much grain do you have to grow in order to produce one kilogram of beef, for example?
1: Right. For example, we know that to produce one kilogram of beef, you need about roughly 10 kg of greens. And at the same time, one kg of beef to produce one kilogram of beef, you actually produce generally rather 65 times more CO2 compared to growing the uh, same one kg of potato. So you can see that the carbon footprint to animal farming is really much higher than the plant-based farming. And uh,
2: cows and sheep and other ruminants also produce a lot of methane, which also further fuels climate change too, I guess. Yes, this is uh,
1: true, the fermentation uh, inside the stomach. So this methane, as David pointed out, actually uh, even worse than CO2 in terms of uh, contributing to the global warming.
0: Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to our series Green Pulse on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or even on Spotify and like us and give us a rating. Now, back to our conversation on climate change and how it affects our food supply with Professor William Chen, the Michael Pham Chair Professor and Director of the Nanyang Technological University's Food Science and Technology Programme. David and Prof, We have been talking a lot about how, you know, climate change is actually causing our food security to be affected. But there's also the other end of the spectrum, right? Which is how our food is going to be impacted by climate change. So Prof, can you just share a bit more about how agriculture is going to be affected when the world warms?
1: Well, we know that so far the traditional crop farming will only utilise a few species, plant species, and these are not so much resilient to the climate change and the extreme weather conditions. So when you have a prolonged drought or heavy flooding, all these crops will not survive. So in my view that in addition to genetically modified crops, we can also look into the nature because there are 25 Thousand other species of underutilized crops that we can explore, which since they are already in nature, they may be perhaps also more resilient to these extreme weather conditions.
0: So, David, I mean, when you were reporting on the IPCC report, you spoke to a couple of scientists, and um, what did they say about how various regions are going to be affected by climate change in terms of their food security?
2: Let's take Singapore and the the tropics. I mean, it's already very warm in this part of the world, and. One of the key findings is that a lot of crops kind of at their limit, their physiological limit, if you like, of heat tolerance. So if you start pushing the thermometer up even higher, yields start to fall because the plants become a lot more stressed. Now, as the professor rightly pointed out, in nature there are still lots of native varieties that perhaps can be crossbred to give farmers varieties that are a bit more tolerant, but one leading agricultural scientist I spoke to in Australia said that basically there are still limits that you can push things to, that crops that grow in on a 40 degree day are not going to have a very good time. So yes, you, genetically you might be able to change things to a certain degree, that there are limits. And the other thing too is, of course, you're going to get more extreme or prolonged droughts So just think of the current sort of dry spell in Singapore, everybody sort of feeling the impacts of the heat and it's very dry and dusty. Imagine that getting a whole lot worse. And then imagine the opposite when we get these terrific rainstorms. So that really makes life extremely difficult for farmers and it makes difficult for people who running restaurants who have to buy the goods to supply the food courts.
1: I'd like to add on David's point, which is excellent, is that in addition to this looking into natural crops which are maybe resilient to climate change, we could also look for solutions, urban solutions, like for example, mm. indoor farming yeah, yeah. and the urban farming, which are sort of insulated from the environment. Therefore, we can mm. monitor the condition and then control the growth, of these things. So that would be another solution. Perhaps in addition to this exploration of new crops and urban farming solutions, we could also look into other no plant-based protein sources, like for example, microalgae, insect, all these can be actually grown and farmed under conditions which are resilient to climate change.
0: So as a small island state, Singapore, we are very... I mean, food security is an issue of concern for us, right? We don't have large acres of land to grow crops. We don't have a lot of space to rear cows for food. So in Singapore, we import actually more than 90% of our food. And from the governmental level, they have a series of strategies to improve our food security, whether in terms of diversifying our food sources or where we import from, boosting local farming capabilities as a kind of buffer in case of any global food supply shocks. Is there any other pillars that you think that the government is looking at to improve our food security, Professor?
1: Perhaps uh, we could also push for better education of consumers' awareness of this uh, food security. For example, let people be more acceptable to a new choice of the diet. Like, for example, a plant-based protein to replace the red meat in our daily diet and things like that.
2: Yeah, that's an excellent point. I mean, people need to understand the alternatives and that they're not perhaps as horribly tasting or scary. So I don't know, maybe satay, possible beef or other different sort of recipes for people to try. But the other thing too, I think education is to just reminding people where the food actually comes from. When you go to a food court, there's a great variety of food, but you never really stop to think of where it all came from. So if you're sort of reminded that beef or pork is actually very emissions-intensive, and if you went to sort of a less emissions-intensive or more environmentally-friendly sort of diet, you might sort of have a better appreciation of how food is grown and make better choices in the future.
1: Well, I'd like to add on that in addition to educating consumers about widening a choice, we also need to let consumer know that it's very important to reduce food waste mm-hmm. because uh, we know that even from the, at the production level, vegetable coming into Singapore from Malaysia, 30% of it perished already on arriving in Singapore. And also, we generate so much food waste because we simply enjoy eating. And if we do not maximise available food source in Singapore, we actually put a lot of pressure on the food import. Well, if we look into the nutrition requirement properly and also raise awareness, of how to reduce food waste, I guess we can actually uh, effectively reduce the need for more food import.
2: Mm, That's right too. The IPCC made a very strong point on that fact about food waste. I mean, there's a lot of emissions embedded in the food that we eat. And I think globally, something like a quarter to a third of all food is lost either in transport, you know, during production, or it's lost from supermarkets because the food has gone past its use-by date. And one of the scientists I spoke to made the very good point, saying that basically, you know, at the moment we do grow enough food to feed people, but because we overproduce, that means we're producing more emissions than we should be, which is further driving climate change. So if we became a lot more sort of conscious about what we ate, maybe didn't order so much, So, when you go to the hotel buffet in the morning for breakfast, you know, don't overload your plate. Just eat what you need.
0: So, while reducing our food waste is a call to action that all of us can carry out. So, thank you, Professor Chen, and thank you, David, for joining us on our show.
1: Thank you for having me here. Thanks, Audrey. It's great.
0: Well, that's a wrap for Green Pulse, and we hope you enjoyed our discussion. That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts, or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times and The Business Times online.